0: For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of the Lord. All right, greet one another, and you may be seated.
1: Well, I was gonna say that that applause was a little lackluster, um, but I'm not gonna let that uh, deter me. I will say, this is only like the second time that I've done this, so I am pretty needy. Uh, So the, (coughs) yeah, so the more you do that and interact, the better this is gonna go for all of us. Um, Unfortunately, Chris is not here today, uh, and so you're left with me. So uh, usually I'm the guy up here making dumb jokes, uh, and I either got demoted or promoted to do this today, depending on how you see it. Uh, So if you've been with us the last number of weeks, uh, you know that we've been talking about Christian maturity. Um, That your Christian life does not naturally evolve and mature like your physical body does. Uh, Just because you get older doesn't mean that you become wiser and more mature, uh, has some evidence in this room. Um, if it did, by the time, ah, there it is, delayed. There we go. Listen, there's gonna be a lot of those today, so y'all better pay attention. Uh, it's gonna be a bumpy ride. Uh, but if it did, by the time the series was, is over, we'd all have long white Gandalf beards and we'd never tell anyone in traffic that they're number one and we'd all be super mature. Uh, spoiler alert, that is not going to happen, uh, unfortunately. Uh, Just like you can't wake up and believe that you're going to have a six-pack without putting in a little work believe me I try every day of my life Uh, And it has not happened yet. God has not bestowed that power upon me to change anything I want Uh, And so what this means is maturity is optional Uh, And I know we've been saying that every single week and you probably just rolled your eyes and you're like come on man, let's move past it, but we need to understand you either choose to grow and mature or you don't. It's not going to happen for you. Um, so I want to preface this morning with, um, I worked at a church for a couple of years. Uh, and one of my favorite things about working there is every month we would do an all-staff meeting. Uh, and in that meeting, uh, we would receive like leadership, teaching, and training, and like sermons that, uh, as a staff, we needed to hear for us to help. Uh, lead and minister to the people that were coming to the church. Um, And there's a certain level of trust that comes with that, uh, that you can have with 200 people versus 20,000 on a Sunday. Um, And so I'm going to invite you into something similar today. Uh, We're going to talk about a couple of touchy subjects, one of those being pornography. Um, And so I want to extend that trust to you with that, and I hope that you will trust me as well. Um, and so we're going to touch on a couple of things like that and we, I talked to Chris and Scott about that and a couple of parents and we decided, uh, if we can't talk about that stuff here, where can we talk about it? Uh, and so we're going to talk about, uh, those couple of things this morning, but I have to admit the sermon has been, um, really difficult to write. Uh, the first time I did this was a couple years ago and it basically wrote itself, it seemed like, uh, and this one has been like pulling teeth, uh, it seems, um, And I don't totally understand why, other than I think it's really important. Um, And it's been really difficult for me, but it's also changed my life. Um, And that's obedience. Um, Let's read 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 21. For the love of Christ controls, and in some versions it will say compels us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for this church. God, we thank you for this opportunity to make much of your name. God, we prayed before service that, um, God, that there would be people that walk in this morning that are just dead. And God, that you have the power to bring them back to life. So Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you uh, just breathe life into dead bones? We just ask that you would do only what you can do. God, I pray that you would give me the words to say uh, that they would not be my own. Uh, And God, remind me that uh, not even I can mess up uh, the power of your word. So would you come and uh, God, just love us this morning. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, When I first started thinking about this and obedience, my brain immediately goes to like the list of things that you should do and not do. Um, And to follow the rules because that's what you're taught as children, right? You follow the rules. Uh, But the more I thought about it and talked about it with a few people, uh, the more I think obedience has more to do what you think and believe about God and know him to be and not about the things that you should and shouldn't do. Uh, do you believe he's kind? Do you believe he's gracious? Do you believe he's compassionate and merciful? Do you believe his mercies are new every morning? Or is he just an old guy with a beard? Uh, he's angry. He's just waiting for you to mess up so he can drop the hammer on you. Like, I will admit there's been large portions of my, my life that I just feel like he's waiting around the corner to get me. Um, because depending on what you believe about him, depending on what you believe about that truth, will always inform your response to him in obedience to what he's called you to be. I would argue that obedience is what makes maturing possible. Chris mentioned in the first week of this series that some of us might be coasting off of experiences or moments of obedience 10 years ago. Hashtag guilty. Um, Then we wake up wondering one day why our life is in shambles. I like to think of it kind of as like a piggy bank. Um, We go through life. We have moments of obedience. We go through life events, tragedies, failures, victories, where we say yes to Jesus. And it's like every one of those things is another deposit. It's another uh, deposit in this emotional or spiritual piggy bank. And I think sometimes we feel wise enough or we feel grown uh, or we feel mature enough that we take the foot off the gas a little bit. And let's be honest, sometimes it works, man. Sometimes like you use those moments of maturity or like victory to like take a breath and you stop pushing, you stop investing, you stop caring. And then eventually you kind of just drift off in the complacency and it doesn't work for very long. Um, One day you wake up and you wonder why your life seems out of control. You wonder why you feel spent and tired and hopeless and defeated and distant, indifferent and honestly stupid. Like there have been times even recently where I just feel like I've lost so much wisdom and maturity in certain things. And it's because I've forgotten about them. I stopped pushing, I got complacent. I felt I got too big for my britches. Is that a Southern thing? I feel like that's only a Southern thing. And that I've lost some control over certain things in my life, maybe a passion for them or it's become I've become cold and neglected them. Uh, I think it's because we've stopped pushing in those areas we've been talking about. We've stopped being in community. We've stopped worshiping. We've stopped being on mission. We've stopped paying attention to the things that form us. We've stopped saying yes to Jesus. So I want to talk about obedience a little bit this morning and the motivation for obedience. Now, I think we have to talk about our motivation right off the top. Um, If we don't have good motivators for our our obedience or our faith, then it can quickly become watered down to works. It It comes down to lists of do's and don'ts. And I think sometimes that's the lazy, easy way out. Like, we just, we want quantifiable things that we can tick off the list every single day. I do the things on this list and I don't do the things on that list in the hopes The scale tips slightly to the one side so I don't go to hell when I die. That's what our faith becomes. Chris has said up here before, our faith becomes like a faith for death. And that, we water it down to that. So I've grown up in church my entire life. Um, I've been a Christian for a long time because I'm real old at this point, or at least it feels like it. Uh, And so basically I'm a pro, which is why I'm up here. There we go. I'll try to uh, say more of those things. Um, If you've been a Christian, much less a person for longer than a day, you know it's really tough. And it gets really messy. Uh, Especially you get family involved and relationships and stuff like that. It gets really, really tough. And it's not for the faint of heart. Being a person is not for the faint of heart. And it's okay to say you're not okay. It's okay to say it's really tough. Um, and if you've been in church for a while, you know in Christianese we call those seasons. Uh, we'll walk around and say things like, well, I'm just in a tough season right now, brother. I'm just having a hard time. Uh, or if you're doing really well, man, things are fantastic, great. I'm walking around. The Lord is good. I feel him everywhere I go. I sing shout to the Lord and I'm punching the devil in the mouth. <laughs> we say stuff like that. Um, the, there are times, though, when the Lord feels really near and times when it feels really far and distant. Uh, and I would say I could probably argue most of the time is the latter. Um, and you're just going through the motions, times when obedience feels like breathing. It's easy. Yes. And amen to every single thing. And then there are times when the Lord feels distant or maybe completely unfamiliar or unpresent altogether. And if obedience in those moments feels like an all out assault on every part of your being, every dream, hope, and desire in your autonomy, it feels like an attack on those things. But despite the season that you're in, what your feelings are telling you or what culture is telling you, obedience matters. And your motivation for obedience matters. So let's talk a couple of motivators that drive us toward obedience, that help us grow in maturity because not all motivations are equal, good, and right. Matthew 6, 1 through 2. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Quote, thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Jesus cares about the motivation of your righteousness and your obedience not just the righteousness in of itself. The text isn't just be righteous. Yes, be righteous, but do it for the right reasons and the right attitude and the right heart. Not only is that passage saying you should give to the poor, but you should also give to the poor with the right intentions. That's tough, man. Like sometimes I just want the action to be enough. Dude, if you've been married for more than five minutes, like you just want to do the dishes and that be enough. You don't want to have to be happy about it. You know what I mean? Um, it's like when you were a kid and you got in a fight with someone or you got in a fight with your siblings and your mom came in and broke it up and then what would they do? They'd say, now hug them. <laughs> hug it out. And then that wasn't enough. They'd say like, like you mean it. Like they're your sister. Like you love them. The fact is the action is not the whole deal. It's the intention behind the action that matters. It's... The motivation and tension behind the action that matters. It's added weight on the command of obedience. There are a lot of motivators for obedience. So what is the primary motivation? You've heard me talk for long enough. Let's read again. 2 Corinthians 5.14-21 For the love of Christ controls, compels us, like we talked about, because we have concluded this, that no one has died, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who fear who for their sake died and was raised. So let's make sure we know who's writing this. This letter was written by Paul, to, who at the time hated, well, let me take that back. This letter was written by Paul, who at one time hated Jesus, hated Christians. His job, literal job was to go out and kill Christians. Then he has his moment of conversion. He becomes a Christian and then becomes arguably the greatest missionary of our faith ever. He writes this letter to the church in Corinth and says the thing that compels him to obedience is the love of God. That's it. End of sermon. That's it. That everything he does in life, everything he does in life when he wakes up in the morning, preaches the gospel, everything he does in life, the thing that compels him is the love of God. Guys, can we even fathom that? I can't. Man, I... I'm, just to be honest, like I really struggle with that. That the main motivation behind his entire life, obedience to preach the gospel, is the love of God. Y'all, some of us don't get out of the bed in the morning unless the thermostat's at a certain temperature. Our slippers are by the bed, coffee is already made, and there's a mandatory moment of silence for an hour before anyone can talk to you. I'm one of those people. And now we have hecklers. But Paul actively travels, <coughs> preaching the gospel, knowing he's going to be beaten, imprisoned, all because of the love of God. That's a different type of obedience that I think any of us can understand or comprehend. And the w- way that the love of God works itself out for us is the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's what compels Paul to the kind of obedience that gets him up in the morning, knowing that he's going to be beaten and imprisoned. Dude, I have a tough time getting up if I know I'm going to have a 930 meeting. Much less knowing I'm going to be beaten. Um, I, I just, I don't think we can understand what that feels like. But the love of God is so strong to him that it compels him to do that. Um, just so someone else might know the name of Jesus. The gospel took Paul, a man that hunted down and murdered Christians, And rewired his heart to live for something and someone else other than himself. That kind of spits in the face of what the world tells you is possible. Especially in 2022 when the world's motto is, you can be anything you want to be, do anything you want to do. Every desire that you have is good and right, and anyone that tells you differently is your enemy. You want me to say that again? again? All right. Make sure you type it out this time. Especially in 2022, when the world's motto for life is you can be anything you want to be, do anything you want to do. All of your wants and desires are good and right. And whatever you feel and think is the truth. I missed that part the first time. And anyone that tells you differently is your enemy. We're programmed to think, what about me? What about what I deserve? What about what I want? And we all know that the church is immune to that kind of thinking because none of us ever shop for a church thinking, what about me? What about what I deserve? What kind of coffee creamer do I want? Some of y'all just got offended. I saw that vanilla out there. The more you make your life about you, the more of a miserable person you're going to be. The love of God completely rewired Paul's heart and freed him up to live for someone else. And also that because we have been adopted and called sons of daughters, the condemnation that we have earned, that we have earned, has been wiped clean and we are seen as holy and blameless in his sight and his love and grace never wavers. His mercies are new every morning. When we are his, we are his. And he never regrets it. The love of God reframes how we see ourselves, other people, how we treat them and actually frees us up to be obedient to who he calls us to be. Why? Because that love shows us that he is for us. That he is going to protect us, provide for us, sustain us, and that he is all that we need. So when you think about it like that, it frees you up to say yes to him. Because it's no longer about you. Because you're taken care of the love of God this is the first and primary motivation to be obedient to the Word of God but it's not only it's not the only motivator. there are secondary ones as well. Uh, let me try and explain it this way. Uh, there are a lot of reasons you've all met my wife. There are a lot of reasons not to cheat on my wife. Number one, I'm never going to do that good again. You better? You've seen her? I'm listen, I know you're sitting down there and you're like that dude is a stud. He's like six, seven. You don't have to laugh that hard. You can run a 40 in four seconds flat. I bet that dude can ball. If you think that, there's something medically wrong with you. Uh, but man, I know my limitations. I outkicked my coverage with her for sure. I'm never going to do that again. Number two, though, I think it would pretty much wreck all of my relationships. Those people would never trust me. And they shouldn't. Um, Number three, it would hinder my ability to do things like this. To serve the church and the God that I love. Um, I'm completely unqualified to be up here. (laughs) I don't have a master's in divinity. I didn't even go to college. Uh, I am completely unworthy to preach this gospel. But I feel like... um, I'm trying to be obedient to something that I feel like God could be doing in my life and I wouldn't want to do anything to cut the legs off of that before it has time to grow into something significant. All of those reasons are good and legitimate reasons, but they all take a backseat to the number one primary reason is that I love my wife. But here's the deal. It's not like we're going to go out on date night tonight, which she looks real good and we are that a beautiful woman walks by and I go, hey but wait, I won't be able to preach again. That's not gonna happen. That's not the reason. I don't cheat on Vanessa because I love her. That is the anchor and primary reason. Now, if we're in a place to be honest, which I hope we are, because it's gonna get way weirder from here. Um, If you've been married for a while, you know that there are dark days, man. There are really tough days. There are days where your relationship feels dry. You look at that person and you're like, why did we do this? You wake up next to the person you don't know. Um, And sometimes in those moments, there are secondary reasons that kind of duct tape and hold that marriage together. Um, Vanessa and I have both been married before Uh, And we can both tell you on those days that sometimes those things is what kept it together even that day. Like, uh, and I'll tell you now, even the second time, uh, just talking to some people lately, like, man, marriage is hard the first time. But there are some things that are twice as hard the second time around. And um, there are going to be times when those secondary things come into play. But no one wants to live there. They're temporary. They're secondary for a reason. Um, But when you're fighting to get back to your, I love you, you're my best friend, I have no other, I don't have eyes for any other person, those secondary motivators are there as we fight for the primary one. So let's bring it back to the love of God for a second and stop talking about myself. Um, I'm going to be honest with you, I really have been in church my whole life, that wasn't just a joke. Uh, There are a lot of biblical truths that I have just never really struggled with. I heard it, believed it, I'm good to go. Uh, But the love of God, man, that is one that I have really struggled to accept. You're telling me that the God of the universe that breathed all of this into existence loves me enough to sacrifice his own son for me. Like, that is a big idea. And it should be, probably is a struggle for a lot of you. But for me, it's like, yeah, I get it. But it's never, like, felt heavy to me. Does that make sense? Like, it's never had... A significant weight in my life. And I think for me, a large portion of my life, I lived in that secondary arena. Like, it wasn't, that primary reason didn't feel heavy enough to me until this year. Like, I had a friend of mine that honestly just kind of rough talked to me a little bit and said, stop being an idiot. Like, when are you going to believe the best that, of God? When are you going to believe that he's not hiding around the corner to drop the hammer on you? And like, I don't know, man, sometimes I think we need people in our life that's willing to get a little rough with us so that we believe things. That was not my notes. Um, His love and his character is so unlike my own, I think it's hard for me to fathom and comprehend that he loves me like that, no matter what. No matter how good I do this morning or how terrible or confusing this becomes, he still loves me no matter what. But because of his character and his love for us, he gives us secondary motivators to reinforce that primary. One. When we're obedient, it glorifies him, but it also benefits us. Because he's good and because he's kind and because he loves us and because of the kind of love that he has for us, it will always glorify him. And it's probably always going to be difficult. It will always glorify him, but it almost always benefits, benefits us too. Like what kind of deal is that? Um, So let's go uh, into the secondary motivator. Every command of the scriptures has been given to us for our joy. God is not in the business of taking anything from us, squashing our hopes and dreams with commandments and rules. Again, obedience is not about lists. It's not about rules and commandments, so he doesn't punish you. Rather, it's a response to his love for us and his commandments that leads us into the best kind of life. Psalm 1611 You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Joy is found in him. He is where life is found. Not being married, not being wealthy, or attaining a certain status, or fill in the blank. It's not any of those things. Man, I love college football. It came back yesterday, amen. Apparently I'm the only one. I'll take the pity. Um, I've been counting down the days uh, to when it was coming back. I've been a Georgia Bulldog fan my entire life. They won the national championship last year. Thank the Lord, some of y'all are saved. But the joy I experienced in that does not even belong in the same conversation as the joy that I get when I am obedient to what he's called me to be. It pales in comparison. Um, And let me show you what I mean. this is that moment that I'm going to ask for your trust a little bit. Um, I was born in, ni- uh, when was it born? 85. <laughs> told you, man, I'm getting old. Um, I was born in 1985, and so when I was a kid, uh, that was like the height of cable television. Um, and I remember I was probably like 11 or 12. Um, and at school I heard about this uh, channel, it was like the Scramble channel. And if you're old enough to my age, you know what that means. Um, And so finding that, it unfortunately began something in me that I I built a really insidious, unhealthy relationship with pornography Um, to the point to where it was present for over half my life, for sure. Um, It affected relationships in ways that I did not understand Uh, until much later. It affected my personality. It affected my marriage. It affected my job. It affected every aspect of my life. Um, And a lot of that was suffered in silence because I didn't understand or wasn't brave enough to tell anyone or to know that that would be met without judgment or condemnation or um, even help. Because I honestly, I didn't even really know what to ask for. And fast forward to divorced, I've been unemployed for like a year, uh, and I ended up getting a job at the megachurch down the street uh, doing design and uh, some other stuff on staff, and um, that was November of 2019, Uh, and then March 2020 came along, and they sent us home for four months. Uh, and there is nothing worse than when you're battling an addiction and uncertainty of like being alone by yourself every single day, where my CR people at. Uh, <coughs> and so when we finally came back to work, I, this is a very short, condensed version because we're gonna go kinda long today, um, but I'm more than happy to talk to anyone about it, uh, obviously, because I'm telling the internet right now. Um, <laughs> But we came back in that first all staff that I mentioned earlier um, was just really emotional. We were all really thankful and glad to be back with other people that we were on mission with, that people we had literally hadn't seen in months. Um, And I remember in that service, (coughs) the pastor kind of calling us out to like raise our hands and worship. Uh, and if you know me, like, I can tell dumb jokes and stuff like that, but I'm pretty reserved when it comes to certain things. Uh, and in worship, I'm typically like a hands-in-pocket kind of guy. Um, there's probably a little bit of pride there that i got to deal with and some other things, but um, it just felt really foreign. But in that moment, I was like, man, we don't know that we're going to be open in a month. Like, we, no one knew what was going to happen. And so, for me, it was... Well, I'm going to give it everything I got. And in that moment, like I remember, it's going to sound like I dropped acid or something. But like when I closed my eyes in worship, it was almost like I could see like God was trying to elevate me into something. And man, it just wrecked me. Uh, And it happened again the the next month and the next month and the next month and the next month and the next month for like six or seven months just wrecked me. And then February um, of last year, we were in All Staff, and we were singing the courses to these two songs over and over that, honestly, I don't even particularly like. But I remember the songs. I remember what I was wearing. I remember where I was sitting in the room. And I raised my hands in worship, singing these songs, and then something happened. I started to pray against that thing, and a lot of things, honestly. And like, I, I can't explain what happened in that moment. But that desire, or whatever that was, was gone. Y'all, that is a miracle. Like, miracles still happen. It wasn't like a physical thing. Like, you wouldn't be able to tell a difference just seeing me, but it was a miracle. God took something away from me that I did not want, that I could not get rid of myself. Y'all, I had been in CR two or three times over the course of 10 years, and thank God for CR because it basically became the basis of all my friendships, like being able to be honest with each other where you're at. But y'all, I did everything that I could do. But it wasn't until God asked me to say yes to something, something simple as raising my hands. It doesn't require any effort. It will for a long period of time, because I'm kind of lazy. <laughs> but that requires no effort. Like look back in Exodus, this is not my notes, this is free. Look back in Exodus and read the story of Moses. God did not ask him to go fight an army of 3,000 people by himself. He asked him to go and talk to Pharaoh. And what happened? He freed an entire people group, an entire nation, because Moses said yes reluctantly, God gave him several chances, reluctantly went and talked to Pharaoh and freed an entire nation. Y'all, obedience is worship. When you say yes to Jesus, you're saying no to yourself. And he does amazing things. And it will always glorify him, but it benefits you too. The commands of God are all about letting you know that he is for you. The commands of God are all about trying to lead you into real life. That pull of your flesh to what you want is a pull back into slavery. Go back and read Exodus like we just talked about. That's the entire book. Uh, Those things are almost always empty promises that can't satisfy you. They will always lead you into darker and darker places. And it will never satisfying. That's why obedience will feel like an attack on every part of your being at some point. It won't feel life-giving, but it's leading you into real joy-filled life. So when you open your Bible and start to read, the Holy Spirit will, through the Word of God, shows you, Mike, think about your wife this way. Think about your money this way. Think about your relationships this way. Think about your job this way. It's inviting me into real joy-filled life. There's nothing that the weight of the word doesn't press down on, and every time it does, it pushes you towards joy. Every time you refuse, you essentially take the seat on the throne of your own life. And this is free too. God's not in the business of sharing. Some of you need to get off your high horse and stop acting like you're God. I mean, in all reality, in your relationships, in your work, in your church, you're not God. And unfortunately, every time you refuse, you essentially tell him you're not good enough. I'm smarter. I'm better. I can make this easier. Despite all of the reasons that show you're a terrible God when left to your own devices. The fact is that we obey his commands until we know better, quote unquote. Then we feel the pains of our disobedience and we turn back. Uh, number two, I'm going to try and speed this up because I feel like I'm losing you. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, you have been adopted as sons and daughters to King Jesus and given an inheritance in the Holy Spirit. Once an alien, you were given new life and designation through the sacrifice of Jesus. It's all throughout the New Testament, Ephesians 1 5 through 14. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us, and all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Romans 8, 15 through 16, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Galatians 4, 6, because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Just like our earlier point, the action isn't the whole deal. But the intention behind it matters. God doesn't leave us out in the cold when he adopts us. He doesn't say, listen, I gave you my son. That should be enough. You're left figure it out he doesn't do that he adopts us with the intention of our feelings and affections growing towards him you know that's kind of changed for me in worship a little bit like I've been a pretty staunch like well curmudgeon really uh, about certain worship songs because they sound like too flowery or like they're too much about me and like Chris told me something like man it's what stirs your affections for He dops us with the intention of our feelings and affections growing. He pours his spirit into us to give us the experience of being embraced by our Father and grants us the feeling of belonging to his family. Y'all, what he's kinda saying there is like, loneliness is an option. Like, I, I, there have been times where I've felt incredibly lonely. But especially in like my divorce, man, the most community I've ever had. And most, a lot of them are in this room right now. Loneliness is an option. If you look in here, you are a part of this family. You are a part of a larger family than your own. God does not leave us without feelings of acceptance and love. Rather, by adopting us, God gives us the very spirit of his son and grants us the ability to feel the affections of belonging to the very family of God. Now, I think we have to acknowledge a hard truth here. This can be a complicated issue for people, uh, especially if your relationship with your own father uh, is strained or non-existent. Um, i would never really thought about that because my dad was great. He was always there. I knew he loved me. I didn't have the same experience that a lot of people do, and I didn't, hear, I didn't realize that until I heard another pastor talk about that, that, like, man, as your heavenly father, some people just don't know what that's like. I had a, um, a friend that I love and I have so much respect for uh, say to me recently, Mike, I don't understand the concept of sonship. My dad left when I was really young and I just don't understand what that's supposed to feel like. I can't grasp that. Man, that is a very real confession. Like it's, I don't think some of us really understand. Like I think that's why the primary and secondary reasons are so important they're all gonna mean something different to you at different times in your life. Um, Thankfully, God uses the church and other believers as the warm embrace of belonging, as that feeling of belonging to a larger family than your own. He uses the church to be encouragement and support, especially in tough and dark times, when you feel like you've lost your way, when you feel like he's far, when you can't understand your identity and his family, The primary motivator for obedience is still true, that God's love is never changing. Even when you can't feel it, he's there. He honors even the smallest yes to him. Um, I want to read this chapter. I know, I said chapter. Um, In the Screwtape Letters, if you've not read this book, it's a super easy read. Uh, I am not a big reader, and I blew through this. Um, It is written from the perspective of two demons, Um, trying to uh, derail a man's faith. Uh, And so when I read this, when they talk about the enemy, they're talking about God. Uh, When they're talking about the patient, they're talking about the man that they are trying to woo away from God. Um, My dear Wormwood, so you have great hopes that the patient's religious phase is dying away, have you? I always thought that the training college had gone to pieces since they put old Slub Gob at the head of it. There's some weird names in here. Uh, Now I am sure. Has no one ever told you about the law of undulation? Humans are amphibians, half spirit and half animal. The enemy's determination to produce such a revolting hybrid was one of the things that determined our father, Satan, to withdraw his support from him. As spirits, they belong to the internal world, but as animals, they inhabit time. This means that while their spirit can be directed to an internal object, their bodies, passions, and imaginations are in continual change. For to be in time means to change. Their nearest approach to constancy therefore is undulation. The repeated return to a level from which they repeatedly fall back, a series of troughs and peaks. If you had watched your patient carefully, you would have seen this undulation in every department of his life. His interest in his work, his affection for his friends, his physical appetites all go up and down. As long as he lives on earth, periods of emotional and bodily Richness and liveliness will alternate with periods of numbness and poverty. The dryness and dullness through which your patient is now going are not, as you finally suppose, your workmanship. They are merely a natural phenomenon which will, do this, which will do us no good unless you make good use of it. To decide what the best use of it is, you must ask what the enemy wants to make of it, and then do the opposite. Now it may surprise you to learn that in his efforts to get permanent possession of a soul, He relies on the troughs even more than the peaks. Some of his special favorites have gone through longer and deeper troughs than anyone else. The reason is this: to use a human is to us a human is primarily food. Our aim is the absorption of its will into ours, the increase of our own area of selfhood at its expense. But the obedience which the enemy commands, God demands of men, is quite a different thing. One must face the fact, that all the fact that all the talk about his love for men and his service being perfect freedom is not, as one would gladly believe, mere propaganda, but appalling truth. He really does want to fill the universe with a lot of loathsome little replicas of himself. Creatures whose life on its miniature scale will qualitatively like his own, not because he has absorbed them, but because their wills freely conform to his. We want cattle who can finally become food. He wants servants who can finally become sons. We want to suck in, he wants to give out. We are empty and would be filled, he is full and flows over. Our war aim is a world in which our father below has drawn all other beings into himself. The enemy wants a world full of beings united in him but still distinct. And that is where the trough comes in. You must have often wondered why the enemy does not make more use of his power to be simply present to human souls in any degree he chooses and at any moment. But you now see that the irresistible and the indisputable are the two weapons which the very nature of his scheme forbids him to use. Merely to override a human will as his felt presence as his felt presence in any but the faintest and most mitigated degree certainly would do would be for him useless. He cannot ravish, he can only woo. For his ennoble idea is to eat the cake and have it too. The creatures are to be one with them, but yet themselves merely to cancel them. To assimilate them will not serve. He is prepared to do a little overriding at the beginning. He will set them off with communications of his presence which, though faint, seem great to them. With emotional sweetness and easy conquest over temptation but he never allows this state of affairs to last long. Sooner or later he withdraws, if not in fact at least from their conscious experience, all those supports and incentives. He leaves the creature to stand on its own legs, to carry out from the will alone duties which have lost all relish. It is during such trough periods, much more than during the peak periods, that it is growing into the sort of creature he wants it to be. Hence, the prayers offered in the state of dryness are those which please him best. We can drag our patients along by continual tempting, but we design them only for the table. And the more their will is interfered with, the better. He cannot tempt to virtue as we do to vice. He wants them to learn to walk and must therefore take away his hand. And if only the will to walk is really there, he is pleased even with their stumbles. Do not be deceived, Wormwood. Our cause is never more in danger than when a human, no longer desiring, but still intending to do our enemy's will, looks round upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished and asks why he has been forsaken and still obeys. But of course the trough afford opportunities to our side as well. Um, Something I think some of us struggle with still, especially in the church, our seasons where we walk through the desert. We struggle with doubt, we're barely hanging on, and we'll pretend that that's not where we're at. We just pretend and sweep it under the rug. Why? That's stupid. Like I said, loneliness is a choice. There are a few of you in here that are gonna feel like I wrote this after a response to like some of our conversations recently, uh, and I promise you I did not. I did not write this to you, but maybe it is for you. Um, There are a few um, that this kind of stuff is what our conversations should consist of as a church, as a people, as friends, as family, as believers should be. This is what it should be about. I'm hurting. I'm struggling. I'm barely hanging in there. I don't even know if I believe this anymore. I'm losing my faith. This is what we should be talking about. As much as I want to talk about Georgia football, that's We should be talking about more important things. The entire Christian life is marked by confession and repentance. When we get away from that, when we get away from, hey, this is where I'm at, with other believers and find yourself wearing the clothes of someone that has it all together, you rob the church of the opportunity to be the church. To shoulder up next to you and to show you that you belong and that we're here for you. Uh, if you have something that you've been wrestling with, something that you feel the tug on your heart uh, to be obedient about confronting, um, we're going to ask you to come up here during communion. Um, we're going to have people on either side to pray for you, uh, and they can't wait to pray for you. Um, here's the deal. If you come up here, though, don't waste the opportunity. I want you to be brutally honest. I want you to be so honest it makes it weird and it makes it awkward. And if you're one of those people praying for someone, let it get awkward, man. That's what we're here for. Life is messy, and it's weird, and it's awkward, and it's hard, and our prayers should be as such. So let's pray for those people. God honors obedience more than your past mistakes. God gives us the word and leads us into life. God gives us a family to belong to. Why? Because he loves you, that's why. So we're gonna start communion, which I'm very excited to uh, administer, this is my first time. Um, You'll say yes to Jesus this morning. Whether it's the first time or if it's something that he is drawing you into. And even if you don't believe, I just pray that you'll take a step. Honestly, like some of the biggest steps I've ever taken in my life have started with, well, what do I have to lose? As goofy as that sounds. So if you're not done, if there's something that's nagging at you, we're going to stay up here for a while. We're going to pray for people. Do not leave here today without saying yes. Okay. I love you guys. Thanks for listening to me ramble for a very long time. Uh, And I hope you have a great Sunday. See you all.